Hey, this is Rob Orman. I am a physician coach and host of the Stimulus Podcast, what you're about to hear. This show focuses on stories, strategies, tactics, or sometimes just information that I think will help you thrive in your career and life. If you want to dive deeper, if you are feeling burnt out, overwhelmed, or have any kind of challenge in your career that you're finding it hard to navigate, one-on-one coaching might be just what you're looking for. I spent 20 years as an emergency physician, and now as a full-time physician coach, my job is to help you get where you want to be. You can learn more at my website, roborman.com. Our guest today, Dr. Lon Setnick. Those of you who have listened to the show for a bit may remember Lon from episode 68 when we talked about taking the suck out of documentation. Lon is a community emergency physician and germane to this conversation, today's conversation. He is also faculty at the Center for Medical Simulation. And one of the things focused on in simulation is feedback. And that is one of the core skills at the Center for Medical Simulation, how to give it, how to get it. And Lon is just a master in this. And I think giving feedback, the art of giving feedback is not a natural skill and receiving feedback, even less a natural skill. But we all know that improvement is almost impossible without some sort of feedback and taking in the data of feedback without superimposing hurt feelings. Oh, that is just a masterstroke. So Lana's going to break down the basics of feedback. He's going to talk about cloaked or hidden feedback, you know, when you might be giving it or getting it, but don't even realize it. Ways to give feedback poorly. Yeah, we're going to teach you how to do that. And of course, how to do it, how to give it, how to get it in a skillful manner. Before we jump into that, the Awake and Aware Conference, January 13th through 15th, 2023 in Sedona, Arizona. Scott Weingart, Ryan Cheney, the Wild Health crew, and me, we're going to be doing an in-person small audience workshop on self-mastery. There is a link to the Awake and Aware website in the show notes of this episode where you can get all the details, the curriculum, you can sign up. Now, for what you are about to hear, I usually try to structure episodes so that there's a coherent flow. I do a lot of research. Sometimes there's a pre-production meeting with the guest. In this episode, I did none of that. Lon and I just got on Zoom and we let it rip. He sent, he sent me an email, said, hey, I'd like to talk about this thing. And I was like, great, let's just do it. And from my perspective, what he delivers is solid gold. From his perspective, I was deserving of some feedback, which you'll hear him give me later in the episode. There's no missing it. And let me tell you, it's real. When it's happening, <laughs> it was real and a little bit uncomfortable. So starting off, when we're talking about feedback, the first question is, How do we define it? From your perspective, what is feedback? I think feedback is any information that the world gives you about yourself. So, okay. So you're, you're getting feedback all the time. I get feedback when I take a step, I get proprioceptive yeah, yeah, feedback. Yeah. I get, I get feedback when I don't do the dishes, right? You know, okay. There's all sorts of feedback. So I'm making it too big, but I actually, I really yeah. believe that there's something important there, which is that there are opportunities for us to learn continuously from our environment. And we don't view these specifically as feedback. And I think we could jump right into one topic, which is cloaked feedback or accidental feedback. And that is, I'll give you a perfect example of this for the average ED clinician. 
This is some feedback I got recently from somebody. So great surgeon. I call for some advice about a patient. I'm giving my presentation and he interrupts me in the middle of the presentation and he says to me, what do you need from me today? And there's a couple of ways of interpreting that. One is, wow, this guy's being a jerk. Another way of interpreting is, I, I wasn't doing a really good job telling him what I needed from him in this conversation. He's busy. He got interrupted from the OR or seeing patients or whatever. And that was what I would call a really important form of feedback, which is hidden feedback. And it comes at us all the time. And we tend to put up our self-defenses and say, wow, that guy was being a jerk. But I think that's actually a really important part of feedback and our own individual development. And the really important thing of, about that was it happened while I was supervising a resident. And so I think the most important way to change the feedback culture that you exist in is by changing your own receiving of feedback, especially hidden feedback. So demonstrating through modeling for the people around you that that was actually feedback you were getting, that you didn't do a good enough job in being explicit for that person for meeting their needs as a co-busy clinician and getting through their day, in or I didn't in that moment, do a good enough job framing the question for that person so that they could answer the question I had intended. Now, why did that happen? I was really excited about this case. It was super interesting. I just scoped a guy with our new you know, disposable CMAC fiber optic nasopharyngoscope and had done things that felt exciting to me. And I was talking to the surgeon about it and I was falling into the pattern of behavior that we often fall into, which is where we talk about the case instead of talking about the question. And so I got that feedback and it was a great opportunity for me to model for the resident I was working with. Hey, you know, you could interpret this a couple of ways. I, I'm going to choose to interpret this as I could do that better. And to me, that's why I want to say that feedback is really information that you get about yourself from the world. And it's all just data. We are the ones who superimpose meaning on top of it. A couple of things come up with that. I mean, it, it makes me think of the fundamental attribution error, right? Like you could easily attribute what this surgeon's motive is when you really don't know. And does it really even matter? Let's just start on this, this cloak feedback. Cloak feedback exists all the time. Yeah. It's there in, you know, a thousand times a day. You're say you're teaching and a resident is looking at you with just a very quizzical look. It's like that maybe not even so cloaked, but it's yeah. it is feedback that's not directly stated, or that surgeon asks you, you know, what do you need from me? Yes, maybe the delivery on the other side isn't so skillful. But there is a commentary on how I could be improving here. So what is the message to the listeners as far as identifying this and navigating cloaked feedback? We usually teach people to give feedback better. But I think probably the cornerstone is to teach people to receive feedback better. Because most of the way that we create a culture around us and change the feedback culture that we live in is by our own improved skill in receiving feedback, not in our skill in giving feedback. Especially those of us who exist in the power differential of medicine, who are doing, say, resident or med school education, the higher you are on the totem, the more important modeling is for the real learning that happens for the people below you. 
They do very little of what you'd say that they should do, and they do quite a bit of what they see you do. And so if you want to show people how to be better at receiving feedback, the way to do that is to change how you receive feedback. So if you're teaching the resident, resident is watching this play out and you say, oh, well, there was some cloaked feedback right there. Here's how you tell it's happening. And here's just something to do to make this a net positive rather than net negative experience. The way of thinking that I like to implement is from my colleague, Damien Shield, who likes to say, it's all data. So all you're getting is data and you overlay the emotion and the meaning on top of that. But if you can get back to what the actual data is that you received, that's the first step. So what, what is the reality of what just happened is, like you said, with the fundamental attribution error, all I heard really was somebody who said, and how can I help you today, right? So that was the data point. I was the one who started layering all of these inferences about who they were as a person, what they meant by that, all that type of thing. And they didn't do any of that. That happened inside of me. And so the key switch that I'd like to make here in people's mind is that when you start to feel upset or angry about something, something that somebody said to you, that is actually a really great trigger for this being valuable feedback, because it's probably pushing up against something in the identity realm, in how you see yourself. And it's either a relationship or an identity trigger usually. So there's something in the relationship with that person or something about your own identity and how this data is striking you and how you see yourself. And it, it might not even happen in that moment. Sometimes it doesn't happen in that moment, but it can happen a little bit later when, you, when you're able to de-escalate. But if you can take that, that kind of emotional surge that you get and view that as a trigger for something important that the world just gave you about yourself. Okay. Help me navigate this years ago, a subspecialist who you know knew what they were doing and, and still knows what they're doing, the absolute worst interpersonal consultant of all time in any ED I worked in, universally reviled for what's identified as passive aggression and direct insults, but not, not like hostile. Just so for example, I would call about something and we'd pull up the x-ray and say, don't, don't you see this? Like, how could you not know that? And thinking, oh, I didn't see that. That's great. The patient will benefit because clearly <laughs> you know what you're doing, calling you to come in and see him. But as you say, the identity thing, that's interesting. Like, yeah, my identity is that I'm an awesome ER doc and I know what I'm doing. And now you're telling me I don't know what I'm doing. In truth, at your level, I don't like to that little thing. That is true. But this, the way it's delivered it is such a personal affront and an insult. And yes, of course, you know, the stoic in us says, what can we control? Our values, judgments, opinions, and actions. The limbic lizard Hulk is just, I can feel it right now. I'm just thinking about these interactions that happened a while ago. I'm fa I, my blood pressure just shot up 40 points. That was cloaked feedback. And to that point, you know, all of the interactions I had with this particular specialist, and we've all had, you know, consultants like this down the way and, you know, colleagues, and we've probably been the person on the other side doing this, but on the receiving end, yeah, down the road, it's like, oh, I, I didn't miss that in the future. Great. Well, I probably did, but I'd like to think I didn't. But in that moment, 
it is has so much voltage. It's so charged. And you also, if it was just this one-on-one conversation, it's like, ah, okay, let me take some breaths. Let me pause. (laughs) It's in the milieu of the emergency department where there's a million other tasks, you're task saturated, you're redlined, and now this is happening. So give me some cloak feedback wisdom for that situation. Oh, Rob, I'm not sure that I I have a great way that that's that's (laughs) turning into feedback for you. But I think we should talk about how you could give feedback to that person effectively. Because I'm thinking out loud here with you in that moment. And I'm thinking, I am not a neurosurgeon, you know, otolaryngologist, whatever specialist. I agree. I want to be a very smart ER doc who does my best. When I have those negative interactions, what I think you're talking about here is a pattern of behavior that this person may be blind to because they probably have the identity themselves of being a fantastic subspecialist, so to speak. And they, th- they may be under the impression that they're doing the right thing in that moment. And they probably have not gotten the effective form of feedback to help them make a change. So I think we should talk about ways that you could go about doing that in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. so what you're, you're in the moment, like they're busy. Usually it's because they don't want to come in. They're busy. They're pissed that you called. And I mean, let's say there's some personality disorders as well that you, yeah. you know, you're not going to fix. Sure. But context and setting that have to matter here. Yeah. You're not doing this feedback conversation when you're redlined in the department and you're in public, right? This is on the medical staff. We call this a collegial intervention. It's a, Hey buddy, I know that you're trying to do your best and I'm trying to do my best too. It feels to me like we've got some friction here to work out. I would love to have a chance to talk about this offline when we're not in the heat of the moment. And what would work for you? You know, name your time, name your time and place. So you've got to get out of the context that you're in right now in order to have this conversation. Because if you do it in public, it's going to go badly. People are going to be, their hairs are going to be on end and they're going to be defensive. And that's often a rule for important feedback is let the moment pass and then take it offline to a different context, to a quiet space or a private room or something like that. In that moment, when you are getting the cloaked feedback, mm-hmm. Let's say when you got the cloaked feedback, how did you, how did you respond? So I have had these interactions with consultants. And what I will say is I try to use the same model for trying to figure out what's going on for them in that moment that I would use offline for feedback. And so let's talk about that model. This is called the advocacy inquiry molecule. And the cornerstone is, and it's very close to nonviolent communication, but there's a couple important changes. The cornerstones are that at a baseline, I have high standards for you and I have high high regard for you as a person. So what I mean by that is I expect Joe subspecialists will be excellent at their job and also be able to interact interpersonally in a way that's effective. And I also respect them as a person. And so I'm going into the conversation through curiosity How is it then that somebody who is such a great X, Y, and Z could have this pattern of negative interaction? And it's the curiosity there that is different than here. I'm not telling them what they need to do differently. This is, you know, we're exploring through curiosity and inquiry. How is it that this seems to keep happening? So we've moved to a quiet space. They know that I want to talk about something important. And I'm going to start with the preview. What is the topic that we need to talk about 
I'd love to talk to you about the fact that we keep getting into what seems to me to be some interactions that are negative when we're both trying to work. So that's just framing the topic. That's what we're going to talk about. There's, there's not judgment in there. It's just, here's what we want to talk about. Then I'm going to give my observation. And just like in nonviolent communication, the observation is just the data the way I see it. So I noticed the last time I called you and I asked you about this chest x-ray, you spoke to me in a way that was loud and what, at least to me, came off as, you know, diminishing me in my abilities. So that's the observation. Then the point of view is, so how did that impact the world or me or the patient? And so from my point of view, the unintended consequences of that is that, number one, I don't want to call you when I need your help, and that's bad for patients. And number two, you've developed a reputation around here for people not wanting to call you. And I think that's important for you to know. And then the last is, so I'd love through the inquiry. So I want to hear what's going on for you when we call you that triggers this type of thing, you know? So the different elements are the preview, the topic, the observation, my point of view, and how my point of view connects to patient safety or relationships or things like that, the impact of, of the thing that the way I see it. And then last, my open-ended inquiry, I'd love to hear what's going on for you. So I can put all this together with a similar situation. I called a specialist for a patient. In this case, it was an orthopedist. It was a joint problem. He started yelling at me. I said, hey, I, I'd love to talk to you about the fact that you're yelling at me right now. I called you for help. You're the orthopedist on call and you started yelling at me. From my point of view, that doesn't make a lot of sense because I know that you take your job seriously and you want to do a good job. And the negative impact on me was that I stopped thinking about this patient. I just started thinking about how I was being treated and that wasn't good for anyone. But I'd love to hear for you what's going on for you right now that caused you to be yelling at me. And what that causes is a open dialogue around their behavior and their actions so that they can start to reflect on what their real drivers are in that moment. So the cornerstones are transparency in my thinking, respect for him as a human being, and high standards for him. And when I put all that together, it is not as confrontational and it does have the element of a collegial conversation around what is actually a pretty spicy topic. It sounded like, as was presented, like it happened on the phone mid-consult. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, so you took it out of the realm of, okay, we're talking about this joint issue to now, hey, the, we need to navigate this, what, what's happening. And as you're talking about nonviolent communication, the I, I have to say, I, I do prefer this more than the kind of blunt instrument of emergency empathy. Are you angry because you feel like we're not doing a good enough job? It's like a little ham-fisted. I can't fully get there, but this, this I like. So when that went down, how did it play out with that consultant? He said, I, last time I was on call, I got called about a patient and they put my name in the chart and I never had a chance to see the patient. This keeps happening. The ER keeps putting my name in the chart and I don't see the patients and that is not fair. So he's triggered by something that's happened in the past, something he's worried about in the future as usual. And so great. Now we can negotiate around that. So, hey, well... I can appreciate that. Nobody wants that. So I'm okay saying in my record that we talked, but I didn't ask you to come see the patient and specifics around that. How's that work for you? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. 
So we got to what the real problem was for him. And it did actually bring up this bigger topic, which is a problem in a lot of medical staffs where phone consults are interpreted different ways by different members of the medical staff, the consultee and the consulted. And there's a conflict there that's kind of set up and a, and a medical staff needs to negotiate what's what's the appropriate way to document that. And so it, it turned out it was, in my mind, a pretty legitimate concern. I think there's a lot of reasons why emergency medicine and specialties see this moment differently, but we were able to get past and negotiate what the actual challenge was for that consultant. And okay, now we're de-escalated and now we can actually have a useful conversation around this patient. Something that you're building around here, I really love because when you said curiosity, that really resonated with me. And for many years, took an approach of curiosity with these calls of, okay, what can I learn from this person as far as you know their expertise, right? Because clearly they have more expertise in ortho than I do. They have seen this joint inside and out. They know more. And so that was it. But as I think about it, and I hear, I hear that also swept under the rug some of this conflict that, okay, well, this person is acting in this way, but what can I learn here? And it was actually enabling some of this behavior that, all right, it's okay to, to talk in this way and like, okay, I'm just, I'm just learning. That's, that's where I'm going. And your curiosity is about why are you responding this way? And what do we need to do? What is, what's your, un, really, it's what's your unmet need. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it that's, is. It that's is. a big question. Yeah. So I, oh, I, I, I love that. It changes the valence. And, and I think we get numbed to, frankly, being abused, you know, and we say, oh, it's okay. All right. Well, you know, it's just, we get, we're thick skinned, but rudeness is a zero tolerance. Because as you say, not only does it make your job suck, matters does make you feel bad, it absolutely impacts patient care. It does. And, you know, there's one extra step here is you actually need to listen to the response that you get. Yeah. Okay, so you use the curiosity, they say something, and you need to actually listen to what they say. And that's remarkably hard to do. And, and what I mean by that, listening in this moment, to me, my key move is I want to rephrase what they just said in my own words. And what that does for me is it, number one, it confirms what they said. Oftentimes I want to add an emotion in there because this person was saying, you always do X, Y, and Z. I'm reframing that as you're frustrated because you're worried that we're going to, right? Okay. So this is- Okay. Let me, let yeah. me pause you. Let me yeah, pause yeah. you. Let me put you there. You did your whole preamble and enlightened line and all this like- yeah, I'm pissed. You dipshits keep putting my name down on the chart and you call me at 3 a.m. with these insignificant issues and you wake me up and I got the OR next day. Do you even have medical degrees down here? What is wrong with you? There we go. Now I'm throwing out emergency empathy. Any feedback that we do in this moment, yeah. they're continuing to escalate, is just going to come back as criticism. So it's a, you know, it's a tough balance here. Let's try something. Let me give you some feedback. Okay. Let's see. Uh, and, that, and, yeah. and, and to that, I, yeah. I will say in, the, in those situations, and I'm oh, I, yeah. uh, a little nervous about yeah. whatever is about to happen next, but I found that verbal judo yes. is so good there. It's just kind of, yeah, absorb, 
absorb empathy. What, what do you need? What is it you're feeling that, that, that would help you right now? And, you know, sometimes it's a turkey sandwich. Sometimes it's just acknowledgement that, you know what? Yeah. yeah sometimes we do act like dipshits yeah. and at least in, in your perspective and here's what's going on for us or whatever, but Les, what do you need? Yeah. How can we make this uh, better for you? But okay. I'm on the spot. Here we uh, go. No, that's great. So, okay. So what I'm going to try to do right now is give you feedback in a couple of different ways. Okay. And we're going to get some reactions. Okay. Okay. So we talked about the advocacy inquiry molecule. We talked about transparency and thinking and respect for you as a human with high standards and high regard. Now, c- contrast this with a couple other methods, which one is typically called hidden judgment. And this is a, a feedback mechanism where we don't disclose what we're thinking. And it comes off to the other person as a guess what I'm thinking question. So what I mean by that is, hey, Rob, can I give you some feedback? Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, just, I just felt my stomach sink. All right. Yeah. We could talk about that too. Can I give you some advice? That's another word that might, might, we might use in this situation. And I'm going to say Actually, no because it's probably bad. <laughs> so it's about how we started the podcast. I'm wondering, you know, is there anything you might do differently next time about how you start the conversation? Mm. All right. So I don't really want you to give an answer, but I want you to, what's going through your mind right now? I felt engaged. Okay. With it. So let me contrast that with feedback. I, I you know, give Zoom talks uh, all, all the time. And there was, you know, one where, I mean, they're not satisfying always and people have their cameras off and then you're just kind of like talking into a black screen, et cetera. And I, I just didn't feel on. And a friend of mine was there and he said, how do you think that went? <laughs> like, oh man, I don't. <laughs> and that was the opposite feeling of the curiosity that I just had with you. Okay. I am a little curious if we could dig a little deeper. It sounds to me like your mental attention when I asked, do you think you could have done anything differently? Was you were... You were both, you didn't say this, but I want to dig and make sure I get this right because I'm looking at your face. You were both thinking, what did I do? And you were thinking, what the heck is Lon talking about? Right? (laughs) So the problem with hidden judgment is your attention is split. And part of your attention is in what what is he talking about? Yeah, there was that part like, God, what did I do in the beginning that Lon thought was suboptimal? There was that. Exactly. And so when you're in a learning conversation, Attention that the recipient of the learning or the feedback is spending wondering what is on your mind is attention that they're not giving to what they actually did. And it really strongly diminishes their ability to reflect because they're trying to satisfy you and they don't know in what way that will work. So feedback is a relationship-based conversation. It lives in the same space as the social cognitive theory of learning. It's it's happening between two human beings. And while we're listening to words, a lot of our attention is being spent on what's what's the emotion going on for that person? What are they really getting at? Are they happy with me? Are they upset with me? As you said, as soon as I said the word feedback, your stomach dropped a little bit. You're like getting ready for something. So we're in a space that's emotionally charged. And anything that I can do to diminish the cognitive burden of the person wondering what I was actually thinking and what we're actually talking about will make this conversation more effective. It will be more focused. So 
That's hidden judgment is your attention is split on what I'm actually thinking about and what you actually did. And that diminishes its ability to make change. And it also is very vague. You don't actually know what we're talking about at that moment. Okay. Then there's harsh judgment. And harsh judgment is a common form of judgment that we get in feedback situations for in the medical, you know, med- medical education context is really full of harsh judgment. And harsh judgment looks like, you know, Rob, I hope you never start the podcast like that again. <laughs> and we get that a lot, right? Oh, um, I didn't feel good when you said that. And I know that was just an example. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, as you heard that, what was going on in your mind? I felt attacked. Oh, okay. All right. I was defensive and I kind of wanted to stop listening. Yeah, right. So you go into your fight or flight mode, you start getting defensive. And remember, feedback is supposed to be a learning conversation. So if we put somebody into a, into a fight or flight mode, when we're starting a learning conversation, you've talked about this a lot on your various podcasts, but right from a neurobiologic standpoint, right their their attention narrows, their ability to be creative goes away, their focus narrows, and they get less effective at solving problems. And really a feedback conversation is a problem solving conversation between two people. So we want to avoid that at all costs. And what the hidden feedback, the first example, doesn't have in it is transparency in my thinking. And what the harsh feedback doesn't have in it is the respect for you as a person. So advocacy inquiry combines all of those things. And so the preview gives us the topic. So Rob, I'd love to talk about how we start the podcast. The observation. I noticed that it's so friendly. It's collegial. I really feel engaged as a friend. And yet we start talking and I don't actually know what the structure of this conversation is going to be. Yeah. And the unintended consequence of that is that I start paying attention to where the conversation is going to go from your perspective. And I don't actually know who owns what moments. And I think that maybe makes it less effective for me because my attention is split a little bit. But I'd love to know for you, what goes on for you when you, when you try to start a podcast with a, with a colleague? What a great question. Listeners, this is real because this is really what happened. Lon sent me a, an email. I said, oh yeah, let's podcast on it. So usually my normal method for creating a podcast is research and you know write out a question set. You know, you know I've done so, you and I have done several podcasts yeah. together and write out a question set, submit it for, for feedback. And it's like, you know, we kind of go off of that and go back on it, but use those as, as guideposts. There's a lot of ad lib and tangents. And this one, I thought, you know, I, I've got kind of some general ideas here. Let's just see how it goes with Freeform. Now, granted, I'm actually kind of uncomfortable with it as well, with that structure. But I thought, you know, Lon and I have spoken many times. And I think through just organic conversation, we'll get to whatever point that we want. And I'm not particularly worried that anything is going to be left out. And I know that I can guide the conversation to a satisfying conclusion. That was a thought that maybe happened in a millisecond, but if I, if I kind of string it out, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's what it was like. So that's my response to your query. So what I'm hearing is it sounds like when you're friendly with somebody and it's a topic that you're generally comfortable with, a casual conversation seems like the best model for you. And you have confidence in your ability to kind of guide the conversation through to, to where it's going to need to go. 
I have confidence that I can guide it, but as I think about it, it's probably more frustrating for the listener because it's more circuitous. Sorry, listeners. But yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that makes perfect sense. And, and you know, one of the things I love about listening to your podcast is the kind of casual conversation. I think if I were going to tweak it a little bit, I might say, for me as the kind of, ca- let's say, casual podcaster, I get a little anxiety at the beginning. And I think that anxiety would be diminished if I had some guideposts of like, okay, here's three or four things that we're going to touch on. Does that sound good? Is there anything we're missing? And we kind of did a little negotiation ahead of time. That would help maybe me feel that we were on the same page for what the conversation might go as. But I'm just throwing that, that out there as an idea and seeing how it's landing on you. That's some great feedback. And I know my wife is listening to this as so she's getting the show notes ready. She's saying, yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I okay. may or may not have been thinking of your editor a little bit with that question, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so how did that feel though, to get that, that form of question? It felt like we were talking about creating something rather than a commentary on me as a human being. Oh, wow. That's such a great observation. Because I do think that if you could look at feedback as creating solutions together, as opposed to telling somebody what to do, we would all be so much more effective. And we started with the question of what is feedback. And I think one of the challenges is that it's pretty muddy. A lot of times when we tell people, I'm going to give you feedback, it comes in generally three forms. One is appreciation. You know, hey, Rob, I want to give you some feedback. I just love these conversations with you. It's great. I mean, number one, it makes me feel like I'm connected to the greater medical community and you're a great pleasure to talk to. That's just appreciation. That has its place. A second is coaching. And coaching is a little bit more in the domain that we were just talking about. Now, the reason why I would advocate for the advocacy inquiry molecule in coaching is it's a diagnostic test. So before I start coaching, I need to know what drove you to do the thing that you did. And sometimes that's knowledge. Usually in medical education, we assume the person just doesn't know something, but it's actually not usually knowledge. Oftentimes it's an emotional state that causes them to not have access to the knowledge that they have when they are not so activated. It can be feelings, it can be culture. So you should really call your attending when something like this happens. Okay, thanks for that. Do you know what it's like to call my attending? Right? So that's not helpful coaching. So when you do the advocacy inquiry molecule and you explore with curiosity together what drove their actions, it's a diagnostic test to tell you how to coach the person. Okay, a couple things on this. So advocacy inquiry molecule. Yes. Okay, <laughs> so it's a conversational method. It's a conversational technique, or you could even call it a procedure. And the reason why we call it a molecule is because you're combining several things together, the preview, the observation, the point of view, and the inquiry. And you're combining those together to create something that's bigger, a whole unified piece that has a purpose. So there's appreciation, there is coaching, And there's also evaluation. And those are the three main things that we tend to call feedback when we want to, when we say, I want to give you some feedback. And evaluation is just where you stand. You're the best resident I've I've worked with this year. That's not the same as coaching. 
And that's not the same as appreciation. And when at all possible, we should separate these things and we should be explicit about what we're doing. So what I mean by that is the recipient doesn't know what they're getting. But if we say, hey, I just want to appreciate you for a minute. I think that's something you do. All of a sudden, I know what I'm getting. If we say, I'd love to let you know where you rank. That's really useful. That's evaluation. And some people crave evaluation and they have to hear the evaluation before they hear the coaching. So you might know people like this who you're like, hey, I, I want to give you some feedback. I noticed you did this thing. I'm thinking you might do it better. And they, wanted, and they say, okay, but how did I do compared to the other guys? And they really need that. And their attention is on how was I evaluated? So if you can be explicit about what you need or what they need, depending on whether you're receiving or getting the feedback, receiving or giving the feedback, you can even ask, hey, I'd love to give you some feedback. I'm wondering, there's appreciation. I'm glad you're here. There's evaluation and coaching. What would you need first from this conversation? And then if they are good with coaching, they want some advice, they want to do better, then you can go into your advocacy inquiry molecule. If they want evaluation, you need to give it to them because otherwise their attention is all going to be spent on just wondering how they did as opposed to wondering how they can improve. This is like fixed mindset versus growth mindset stuff. I'd love to hear how you would give feedback. You know, you've got, so we've got these different buckets. There's going to be maybe some overlap in the Venn diagrams of these. So you have a resident and you have taught them to put in a central line and they hit the subclavian artery, they drop the lung, break the sterile field, and yell at the nurse. It goes poorly for the patient. And it's yeah. just, it's yeah. sort of a, it's a negative situation. Yeah. And you're going to give them some teaching and some feedback. And probably there's some other issues about communication maybe that need to go on here. But how would you approach that feedback right in the clinical setting? Okay. So I think the first piece is that you might not be able to do it right then and there. It would be great to check in on them and say, wow, we just got through that. That was pretty stormy. I'd love to check in on you. How are you doing right now? And the purpose of that moment is really for them to feel that you are on their side at them improving. And right then what they might need is a hug or an emotional hug or a break or a moment. And I would say, you know, I think there's probably some things we could learn from that. I'm thinking this might not be the best time. What would be a good time for you? This is kind of that simulation model of emotion before data. Yeah, yeah emotion before cognition. Exactly. Co- motion yeah. before cognition. Right. Okay. And the purpose of, the, of getting the emotions out is the best way to kind of de-escalate your emotional state is to say what you're feeling at that moment and be given time. Okay. So the resident says, that was horrible. I, obviously, I, I just lost it. I, lo- I lost, I couldn't focus. I know I snapped at that nurse. I just feel so bad for the patient. I, t- I, oh, I suck. I suck. I suck. Yeah, yeah. I, they need consoling right then and support. And they're probably still not going to be able to hear whatever advice you have. But there are some topics here. And so they're adult learners. They're going to take away from the situation what they want to and what's most important to them. So at the beginning of the conversation, let's say, let's say an hour goes by, they've had their break, they're back, it's the end of your shift, and you say, hey, Joe, would this be a good time for us to just talk through some of the things that happened in that case? Great. Okay. Let's go out back. 
And here I'm going to, I'm going to have a conversation that negotiates around the objectives. So I'll start with, all right, let's do some advice and coaching in this moment. You know, been through things like that before. Things that I saw that we could talk about include the emotional reaction to the nurse, the physical technique of finding the subclavian without ultrasound. I know you guys don't do that much anymore. <laughs> we did a lot. I might have some tips there. And then also, how do you maintain a sterile field when you're really worked up and things aren't going well? What of those sound best to you? What are most important to you? You know, if, if anything explicitly dangerous happened, you're going to have to discuss it in that moment. But you could save that for the end with just a quick hit. So whatever's important to them is the thing that they are going to learn. And this is really hard. Mm, interesting. What, what's important to us as the teacher is so much less important than what's important to them. You're on a hike with people. Some people see the birds. Some people see the geology. Some people see the trees. Everybody's a little different in how they're interpreting that hike. Some people would do better walking alone. Some people do better experiencing it, talking the whole time. Some people are taking pictures. Some people want to be phoneless. You know, people are different, right? And the experience of going through residency is also very unique to each person. Learning is an idiosyncratic process that takes place individually within each person. And you can't, you can't tell wisdom. Wisdom has to be experienced and learned. And so your job in that moment is to try to discover what's driving them. Now, they may have blind spots. So they might say, yeah, you know, it all stemmed from the fact that non-ultrasound guided central lines are dangerous and stupid and we should never do them. They've got their ego talking, they've got their defenses up. And your job then is to say, yeah, but there's these other issues that are going to happen in other situations. So I think it would be a good idea for us to explore them. And some of them might be hard to talk about because they're different than how you see yourself. But the truth is, in that moment, we should talk about how you talk to the nurse. And so in that moment, you're giving them an opportunity to address one of their blind spots, potentially. What do you think about this approach? Yeah. So what do you think went well there? What went well? And it's kind of like, okay, here's what went well. It might be like nothing, but it's like, okay, well, let's just, let's just pull it out. What do you think went well? What could have gone better? And they pull out what could have gone better. What lesson do you think you can take from this? Why don't you read on that and the next time come back and we'll, we'll talk about it. So it's kind of more self-directed that it, it's granted you haven't put your spin on it yet, but it's kind of after a, a difficult case as you're assessing it, you think, okay, what went well there? Because things did go well. What could have gone better? I could have done this better. What will I carry forward into my next situation? Your self-feedback mechanism. What do you think about that as an approach to feedback for that learner in that situation? It's similar to the Pendleton model, which is, I, I believe, what did you think went well? Here's what I thought went well. What did you think could be improved? Here's what I thought could be improved. I, I think time is short for these conversations. And I want to be clear. This is opinion-based. There is no research showing that one form of feedback is better than another. And there's a whole bunch of different models. And probably existing in the culture of learning is the most important thing. And modeling being a learner and accepting feedback is probably more important than anything else. However, I think there's pretty good research that there is basically no link between confidence and competence, meaning people are extremely poor at self-assessment across all domains. 
In, in fact, you may know the gun, Dunning-Kruger curve, right? <laughs> so people who are bad at something overassess their ability or think that they're better than they are. And people who are good at something often think that they're worse than they are. Since time is short, I don't spend a lot of personal, my own approaches, I don't spend time on self-assessment because I think that my point of view as the coach or expert or facilitator or instructor is valuable to put in there. And I think that that will be helpful to them. And by what we're talking about here is by exploring their frames, exploring what drove them to the action, we get to the underlying drivers of their actions, not just their actions. So the kind of phraseology in some of the literature is that we're, we're working on double loop learning instead of single loop learning. Single loop lear learning is do that action differently next time. Double loop learning is let's think about why you did it the way you did it. And if we can change the why, we will change the action in many different scenarios. If you change the what, you, you change the action very narrowly. Only that scenario. And so changing the what is often referred to as coaching, but you can think of coaching in a lot of different ways. But I think exploring the why probably has more value when you're talking about a conversation between an expert and attending and a resident, for example. So how's that kind of capturing the answer? Oh, that was lovely. That was, uh, there, there were even unknown unknowns that you threw out there that I didn't see coming. So what do you think about the voltage of the word feedback? Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, hey, I'd like to give you some feedback. Oh, doors closed. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Be back in 15 minutes. Well, there's, there, there are those puppy dogs that come to you and they say, I need more feedback too. Tell me what I could do better. So interestingly, many studies have shown that residents especially say, number one, I didn't get any feedback. Mm. And number two, I hate feedback. And then, <laughs> and then, but I want the feedback. And then you, you interview the faculty in those programs and they say, I give feedback all the time. So there's some type of dissonance there that we need to get past culturally in healthcare. And so... That goes back to my original point is probably the best way of making change is by modeling, accepting feedback from all different directions and just being clear with your, with your learners or your colleagues that that is feedback that you're taking and then you're acting on it. So, so you can use other words and there's some research, like I, like I said before, that if you say I'd advise, I, I'd love to get some advice from you, that you actually get more actionable advice than if you ask for feedback. A lot of times when you ask for feedback, you get evaluation or, or approval and praise. And those are not what you were looking for. You were looking for advice to how you can do things better. When you were talking before about the challenges of self-reflection and self-feedback, yes, maybe we're not great at it. And you know we have varying degrees of skill at this, but still important. Self-awareness, self mastery. What do you think the key skill here is or the or the way to maybe build this muscle? I'm not sure there is one. I think our blind spots are blind to us. The, the only person who can't see our face is us. So we are the only person who doesn't know what we look like when we are having that conversation. 
The only person who doesn't experience our emotion, our emotional outburst, is us. I'm not sure that you can do better than being open to the feedback that comes to you, as opposed to you being more able to self-assess and be more self-aware. I think there's certain things that we're just blind to and we just, and we get enough. Here's the thing. We get the feedback. We don't allow it to come in. There's all the data out there coming at us that we do lots of things ineffectively and we don't make change. I'm not sure you can do better than just accepting what other people are telling you and trying to get past, trying to separate the who from the what is a big step. So we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but you sound like you've been really good at this saying somebody who I don't like very much is giving me feedback. I'm still going to take that value. And that might actually be the most valuable feedback because somebody who doesn't like me is actually much more likely to be honest with me than somebody who does like me, who's going to have the barrier of our friendship or our collegiality to overcome, to give, to give me that feedback. So when you can separate the who from the what, and you can accept the feedback even when it comes from situations or people that you don't like or rub up against your identity, you're going to do more to overcome those blind spots than anything you could do by trying to be more self-reflective. I think that's my proposal. One of my favorite self-feedback experts was my dad. And he had, he had this great expression that we'd say, dad, you just told us not to do this thing. And here you are doing the exact same thing. And he'd say, yes, it's because I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> <He'd> say, <laughs> oh, oh, that okay. is fantastic. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, you, no, no response there. So we're all hypocrites. And if we can do the same curious approach to ourselves, we hit on really important things. So one of the things I teach in simulation fairly regularly is the use of a checklist in routine emergencies. We have shown over and over that that makes our teams better. And so I can't remember when Scott Weingart released the emergency manual, or I can't remember what it's called, but his... his uh, oh, was it? Hang on, hang on. Yeah, you probably have it. It's in my work bag. When I stopped doing clinical medicine, I think I put it in my long-term storage box. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up so I can source it properly, if that's okay. Okay. When Scott Weingart released the resuscitation crisis manual with the EMCRIT group, I bought it right away. I said, this is fantastic. Here's a checklist I can bring to work. I have used it zero times. One of the ways of interpreting that is I'm a hypocrite. A really, <laughs> another way of interpreting that is, wow, isn't that interesting? So what are the barriers to making change? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? We, we make these assumptions that we will buy a new device for our department or put in a new policy or create this new textbook. And it's going to make a change in people's behavior. And the truth is, it's really hard to make behavior change. And, you know, we can talk about tiny habits as, as a method, but, but, you, but there is a science of behavior change and there's a lot to overcome. And so that's really interesting and actually, it turns out multiple docs in my department have bought it. And as far as I'm aware, nobody's ever taken it out. So maybe there's a cultural barrier. Maybe there's a workflow barrier. You know, how could we, how could we actually overcome that? So embracing your hypocrisy in that moment, well, geez, as a change agent in my organization, I know there's one thing I'm not going to do 
to try to improve workflows is just create a checklist and put it in the location that it should be because that's not going to change anything. So we would need to experiment around how do you teach to it? How do you create a role for it in a team? How would you have people value it? Where should it go? Where it will be available when people need it. So to me, embracing your hypocrisy gets to what real change looks like when you're trying to change behavior. And this is just something simple like opening a checklist, let alone acting totally different in a high stakes situation. This whole checklist thing, I mean, I was a massive proponent of intubation checklists. And I used to have, I think it was Ruben Strayer's intubation checklist with me every intubation. And I used the middle of one page and then this other thing of things that I couldn't remember. One was like some vent settings. Another was dosing of some, of some meds or something. And it was just, I was so habituated to not using that. And then when it came in, it was such a change of workflow. And I never really thought about the barriers to it. Changes the game rather than, oh my gosh, I am such a hypocrite. If that's the end of it, then yes, okay, oh, yep, I'm a hypocrite versus, oh, understanding that I am a hypocrite is opening in a door to look at the operating system of, whew, what, where's this hypocrisy coming from? Well, yeah. And the idea of embracing your hypocrisy is if you can actively seek the moments when you have identified that you're a hypocrite or somebody else has identified you're a hypocrite, that's fantastic. You're opening like the key to the castle in making improvement and change in your organization. And especially if you're an educator and you find that you're doing things that you educate the opposite of, the, the embracing the hypocrisy is you've identified a really important opportunity for your organization to learn about itself. And also for you as a change agent to see how just talking about something doesn't actually make it happen. And so that's where the embracing, I think, comes from. That's from called Change the World. And the framing there is really similar to the first chapter of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is that that really the only way to change the world is by changing yourself. And if you start on yourself, everything around you changes. If you don't change yourself, things around you are unlikely to change. All right. As we close up, I want to pull out one actionable pearl for giving feedback, kind of a fundamental principle, and one actionable pearl for receiving feedback. Okay. For giving feedback, it is that... Feedback is a conversation where you're using curiosity to discover a solution that exists not in you and not in them, but in the space between the two of you. For receiving feedback, it's that the most valuable feedback is the most painful feedback. And the things that trigger you, that make you question the motives behind the person giving you the feedback or question their intelligence, those are probably the most important forms of feedback that you're going to get. And if you can get past the, the who to the what and really embrace the data that you're getting and not put layer the meaning on it, then you can start to receive feedback in an effective way and you'll start to change the way people around you receive feedback. I want to close up with after feedback? What comes next? Because you, you know, we're talking about how to give it, how to receive it, but really what we want on both ends of this is change. So 
what is the secret sauce to that after feedback period? So probably the most important thing is for people to have an opportunity to show that they have made a change. And so if you give feedback right after the right after the buzzer rings, they at the end of a basketball game, they don't have an opportunity to do better. So feedback should be frequent and it should be done when somebody still has an opportunity to do some, something differently and show you that they've made a change. And then th- you can celebrate together and things can really stick. So there's an after action that needs to happen. Now, I recognize that we're not always going to be around. So it can be useful for people to identify for themselves when they're going to do the new thing. And so this is where you might throw in an implementation intention. So if they can say, when I dot, 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 I will dot, 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 do the new thing, then they're more likely to actually do that. And if you don't happen to be around, they can record it for themselves or they can keep track of it or they can let you know. So you could say something like, hey, this is our last shift together and I've given you this feedback, but I know you're going to get another intubation attempt. And I'm thinking that you decided that you really want to slow down and find the epiglottis as the second step right after the uvula when you're doing your intubation. So, hey, next time you do that, when you achieve that, why don't you send me an email and let me know how you did. So that way you can get that that whole loop of feedback, and it will also help you feel better about having actually made change. Also putting a little accountability into Absolutely. it as well. Yeah. It's the ongoing connection where the feedback continues to live in the space between two people. All right, Lon, thank you so much. Hey, Rob, this was a lot of fun. I love talking to you. How was that unstructured conversation? <laughs> do we get to our, we get to our, our stuff? <laughs> we did. We did. I will always take you in for a landing. This this whole process, I so much appreciate the supportive learning environment where you know you gotta you gotta be able to run fast enough to every now and then trip and skin your knees if you're gonna learn anything. So I'm I'm really happy with the opportunity and with the kind of the way you embrace a new voice coming in and it's very it's been very interesting from my perspective because you know like I'm a simple country doctor who's making this quasi transition to academics in the middle of my life and it. That's been yeah. fascinating, and the way that you've embraced it has really helped me. Was that affirmative feedback? What was that? That was that was appreciation. And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, sign up for our newsletter, and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Maybe not. Maybe it's happening. Just head over to our website, roborman.com. Until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.